It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This is Relentless Daring on Podbean.com. Welcome to the land of bourbon and bad decisions. This is Relentless Daring, live on Podbean.com and the Podbean app. So before I get started, let me just tell you all about that wonderful, wonderful, fresh roasted coffee goodness from American Pride Roasters. Possibly the best coffee that comes from the state of Iowa. Wonderfully produced there in the... uh, Surrounding areas of Des Moines, Dave Matthews takes the time to just handcraft and just lovingly pour himself into every batch of beans. And it's one of the few places where you can actually show up at the farmer's market in Des Moines and you can buy it in person. Uh, apparently, everyone is talking about my volume being really crazy for some reason or another. Anywho's, besides getting distracted from everyone's eardrums being blown out. Anyways, American Pride Roasters. Um, this coffee I drink, I love it. Uh, and a lot of it is made, named after uh, founding fathers or important people in American history. Right now, I'm working on the Teddy Roosevelt blend. It's a Brazilian bean that's a... Good full city roast, absolutely amazing. And the best part is, if you're one of those people, you're a French press kind of guy. You can get a good medium grind that's perfect for a French press. Are you the, are you the bougie chick who likes to uh, do the cold brew coffee in the refrigerator? You can get a large grind, nice and coarse. That way, it's going to sit there and just steep all night long. The perfect. Ice, cold, cold brew coffee flavor that you're looking for. They will cut, like I said, they will grind it to order, or they can give you can buy the whole beans and have it sent directly to you, and you can grind it at home in your own coffee grinder. American Pride Roasters, absolute best coffee I have had. APRCoffee.com, go there, and then when you order there in the uh, the special instructions, when it comes to uh, you know making a purchase, tell them that they heard that you heard about from Relentless Daring. Thank you again, APR Coffee, for sponsoring this show. Okay, now that I am uh, done paying bills, uh, I had fully intended on starting off with Bill de Blasio being stupid, which, I mean, that's not a... That's 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 not a hard thing for 
people to talk about. Um, there's been some other interesting news that's happened that has come to my attention since doing my show prep 20 minutes ago. Uh, so last week, Project Veritas released these uh, tapes of doing interviews with people uh, within the COVID vaccine supply chain and the manufacturing process. And one of them was a technician at the McPherson, Kansas complex where they produce and test the vaccines. And she came out and said, yeah, we've been testing this on aborted fetus tissue. If you've been listening to this show for more than five minutes, you know that I am not a fan of this thing called abortion. I think it should be ended because I think it's wrong. What's even more wrong is that the tissue, using the uh, very overly clinical word for baby parts, the baby parts are then sold to medical research facilities where they're then used to create vaccines, to test vaccines, and blah, 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 blah. And I remember when the uh, all this was coming out at the beginning of, oh, well, they're working on a vaccine. Well, uh, there's a lot of people like questions about, you know, aborted babies being used in the process. And it was downplayed. Oh, pshaw, that is nothing to worry about. We would never use aborted baby fetus tissue to to test a vaccine. That's nuts. Well, you have the whistleblower come out and said, oh, yeah, they're definitely doing it. Well, she got an interesting phone call earlier today from Mr. I am not making this up. I'm going to play the audio. Play the audio. She got a call from Mr. Wigglesworth. That's right. One of the leading executives in the Pfizer security department. His name is Wigglesworth. She got a call from Mr. Wigglesworth informing her that, uh, yeah, don't come back. Uh, We'll we'll get back with you on on why. Anyways, I'm gonna play this. Worth. I'm from. My name is K. J. Wigglesworth. I'm from the corporate office of Pfizer Security in New York City. I'd like to pass a message on to you from Ian McKellar, who's the VP and site leader at the uh, McPherson plant uh, for Pfizer vaccines. We've been advised uh, to let you know that you are not under any circumstances to return to work. Your termination is being processed at the current time. Okay, so I'd like to apologize to those listening live. Apparently, it's only running my computer mic and not 
the audio going through the microphone that is recording this wonderful show right now as we speak. Yay, technology! But anywho's, for those listening live who couldn't hear it, I apologize. Please go back and check out the podcast, at least for the first 10, 15 minutes of it. You'll catch the audio. Um, So, Mr. KJ Wigglesworth. Okay, if you're going to be the head of security, you, you might want to think about changing your name. Maybe use a non-deplume. I don't know. Because no one's going to take you seriously when you say you're the head of security if your name is Wigglesworth. They're going to think think that you're the... They're going to think that you're Dr. Evil's cat from Austin Powers. Your name makes you a joke. Kim says, well, at, at least his name isn't Dick. I mean, it would make sense. Man, Dick from security fired me. He's really living up to his name. Yeah, so basically, she was told, yeah, if you have any questions, get a hold of so-and-so at the McPherson plant, and he will explain to you why we're firing you. Now, now keep in mind, there are certain things in this world where if you blow the whistle on things, you are not subject to reprisal. And if you are, you can make lots and lots and lots of money off the people engaging in the reprisal against you. In this situation, this is most definitely a reprisal. Now, I'm sure that if she should try to sue Pfizer, because I imagine she doesn't want to go back there now, because if she got her job back and she went back to work in McPherson, yeah, she's not going to have a good time. However, the fact that they terminated her almost immediately, that tells me that she hit really, really close to the truth, if not right on it. The American people have a right to know what their medicines are tested on. I get it. There's certain things that are, you know, that they're intellectual property that has to be protected because, you know, you don't want to tell everyone the exact formula in the name of being open and transparent about your medicine or your vaccine without expecting to have, you know, every other drug company steal your IP. However, in the politically charged environment that is the COVID-19 pandemic, 
when you downplay any fears that your product is being tested on aborted baby tissue, and you, and you straight up deny that's happening, if someone comes out and says, yeah, I've got the receipts, this is happening, I think there are some other people who should be fired. Not the person trying to keep the company, you know, honest. It's absolutely ridiculous. I think one of the big problems with, you know, the whistleblower laws we have in the country right now is that they only cover certain things. If you discover that the company you work for is engaging in fraud and you go blow the whistle that, hey, this company's committing fraud, you're protected. Are they are they pulling some crazy Enron bad accounting practices? Yep, by all means. You can go report that to whoever you want because we have laws that protect that. However, stuff like this where yeah, there's lying to to the American people, maybe not breaking the law. But you go and come forward with it, and suddenly, oh, yeah, we got to let you go because you're a threat to our practices. It's it's absolutely insane. And the fact that, you know, they didn't even handle it through her local company. Corporate in New York City was the ones who called her with Mr. Wigglesworth. Ah, Mr. Wigglesworth, the most completely wrong-named person for any job title in history. Corporate head of security, Mr. Wigglesworth. It's absolutely nuts. And, I said, frankly, I hope she sues Pfizer, and I hope she wins, because... Is my understanding, she didn't divulge any IP. She didn't engage in any corporate espionage. She did the exact same thing the whistleblowers from the tobacco industry did 30 years ago. When they discovered they discovered these emails. Or, well, they weren't emails then. They discovered letters and memoranda on company letterhead saying, hey, we, we've we developed a strain of tobacco that produces nicotine that's far more addictive. Back when, you know, back when all the tobacco companies said, oh, we don't know it's addictive. We would never go out of our way to make it more addictive. They found memoranda saying, 
Oh, yeah, we know these light cigarettes really aren't any healthier than regular. And what fought totally against their advertising. All this stuff came out. And those poor whistleblowers, they got, they were ran through the freaking ringer. But ultimately, they were right. Ultimately, what they did paid off. And I hope this woman just sues the ever-loving crap out of Pfizer for wrongful termination. Will it do any good in the long run? Probably not. Because these big corporations are going to do everything they can to protect themselves. They don't care who they have to step on. They don't care who gets crushed. And... Generally speaking, I'm a fan of Big Pharma. Big Pharma has produced miracle drugs. Big Pharma has made everyday life for so many people so much better. It was what was the old the old Dow chemical saying better living through through chemistry. I mean, this is, I mean, we have over-the-counter pain meds that are, you know, they've been around for forever, but Big Pharma discovered them, put them out there, patented them. Big Pharma has funded all kinds of research into anti-cancer drugs. So I'm not anti-Big Pharma. I don't think we should, uh, you know, I don't think we should be going after them, you know, trying to break them up using, you know, antitrust laws. But if the employees are trying to hold where they work accountable, whether to the American people or to their shareholders at the very minimum, then by all means, you shouldn't be able to go after them. It's absolutely nuts. But now that I've gotten onto the vaccines and COVID stuff, Earlier in the show than I presumed, I'd like to share some good news in the world of COVID crazy. From one of my least favorite colleges in all of college footballdom, LSU. Gokes, Tigers. LSU will no longer require proof of COVID vaccination or a negative test to enter Tiger Stadium. Yay. Uh, LSU says it will no longer require fans to show proof of COVID vaccination or a negative test to enter Tiger Stadium for football games. The move comes amid, quote, a consistent and significant decline in COVID-19 infections and hospitalizations across the state of Louisiana and in the Baton Rouge area. End quote. The university announced on Twitter Friday. LSU Athletic Department spokesman Cody Worsham said that immunization, pol- immunization policy will be in, will not be in effect for the October 16th game against Florida. He said masks will still be required inside the stadium, 
such as sweets, which if you're in a suite, odds are you are in the suite with people that you are surrounded by on a regular basis. So requiring masking in a suite where you might be with business partners, friends, family. Like I said, people you're around all the time, unmasked, suddenly you go to this game and, oh, you're going to be in the suite. You need to have your mask on. It's dumb. D-U-M-B dumb. Other places that require masks concession lines, which I, I'm willing to concede. <laughs> I see what I did there. That one, That's why I'm willing to concede on because you're just waiting in line for beer or hot dogs or nachos, and there's five billion people around you. And you're no longer out there in the hot sun or out there in the bright summer sun, fall sun, whatever. It's Louisiana. It's always summer. Um, I can understand because, you know, the virus tends to dissipate rather quickly in, you know, sunlight. It's weird. Probably explains why all these events have happened during the pandemic and large open-air places during the daytime, you really haven't seen a whole lot of COVID. There's no giant spikes like the news media wants to tell you about. Uh, Worst said the department decided to require vaccination to get into games when Louisiana's case positivity rate was increasing this summer. Yes, almost like it's seasonal. And then during the summer in the south, when it's really hot and humid, especially in a swamp state like Louisiana, people tend to move inside to where they have air conditioning. And then guess what? Later this winter in Louisiana, where it turns cold, Cases will go up again because people are going to move inside where it's warm. Isn't that weird how that works? Uh, Side note. I was on Twitter and John Ziegler had a tweet about talking about the seasonality of COVID. And someone commented, well, down, down, I live in the southeast, and you know, we had a spike in the summer, and we had a spike in the winter. How do you explain that? Well, John didn't have a chance to respond, but I did. Bring up the exact same thing I just said. It's almost like it's hot during the summer, and people go inside to enjoy the air conditioning instead of being outside where it's 105 and 90% humidity, and wanting to just die because you can't freaking breathe. And then, it cools down. People move back outside. They're back in better ventilation. 
back in the sunlight. They're getting the they're getting that vitamin D all over again. Then, as it turns colder, people move back inside to it so they can enjoy the heat and get out of the elements. They're in poor ventilation. Not in the sunlight where their body produces vitamin D and suddenly they become more susceptible to COVID. The damnedest thing. But anyways, the athletic department sent season ticket holders an email Friday afternoon summarizing which protocols it is lifting. Quote, Game day testing, fast pass pre-verification, and all other entrance-related procedures will no longer be in place, and masks will no longer be required in outdoor locations of the stadium for guests under 12 years of age. Oh, good! They're not masking children! As you can tell, this is a cold read! LSU Football's Twitter account posted a video of Dr. Catherine O'Neill, medical director at Our Lady of the Lake Hospital, weighing in on the decision. Quote, we've seen our rates drop dramatically over the last couple weeks, and today the entire state of Louisiana has a less than 5% positivity rate. What a win. Erline Priest, a season ticket holder from La Rose, laughed when she heard all the requirements were lifted except for the mask mandate. Quote, I don't think I saw one person wearing a mask for a game. It already felt like game days were back to how they were before COVID. So I don't think lifting the requirement will really change anything. And it goes on to talk about how enforcing the mask or the vaccine mandates was really actually kind of difficult. It's almost like people didn't want to have things mandated to them. It's a really weird thing. You know, people are really good at if you ask them nicely... They will respond. You make a polite suggestion. They're more likely to give you a polite no. But when people just are beat, just absolutely beat over the head with things, it's really hard to get a positive response. So thank you, LSU. While I am not, while I'm still not a fan, I do appreciate that you're starting to show some common sense. I want to talk to you about Keto Chow. Keto Chow is a small company out of Utah that uses the absolute best ingredients to make the absolute best weight loss products available on the market. Their first goal is flavor. Who wants to drink something as a meal replacer that tastes like crap? Keto Chow understands that this is a hard barrier for a lot of companies to break through, so they have some of the best flavors. Cookies and cream, chocolate, vanilla, real strawberry. These are the best shakes I've ever had. I've been using them for a few months now, and they are amazing. So go to the link in the show notes, check it out. You can search for recipes on how you can use their Keto Chow products to make amazing foods that taste amazing and help with your weight loss goals. KetoChow.xyz. Keto made easy. 
I'm going to talk to you about Built Bar. We've all had protein bars before. Most of them taste like cardboard and they're gross, nasty, and leave a funky aftertaste in your mouth. Built Bar, their goal for starting off was flavor first. Every bar is covered in either pure dark chocolate or white chocolate for those special ones that come out. You have nine regular flavors, and then they have the special flavors they bring out every so often. They are absolutely amazing. My, personally, my favorite, mint brownie. Oh, my God. So go to Built.com. Check it out. Go to their selection of Built Bars. Built Go Energy Drink. Uh, Built Broth. All their, all their fine selections of amazing products. Built.com. Use the promo code RELENTLESS to save 10%. Built.com. Drizzly is the leading home alcohol delivery service available. Imagine being able to sit at home and pull up your smartphone and browse your favorite wine, beer, spirits, and then have it delivered to your home in as little as one hour. Go to drizzly.com or check out the link in the show notes and start shopping today. Not available in all areas. Please drink responsibly. Drizzly.com. All right, getting back into it. Oh, so I was glad that LSU was able to give me a story that was good. I didn't want to pull my hair out. Gokes, tigers. So, getting into some more stupid news. Um... Racial discrimination, racial inequity, blah, 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 blah. It's everywhere. Well, did you know that's also in gifted programs? Yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. Whitey is far more likely to be in the gifted program at your school district than black kids, Hispanic kids. I would say Asian kids, but no, probably more Asian kids than white kids because, well, racial inequity, they take, if Whitey's not taking everything else from the other people of color, Asian people are taking it from the Whiteys. Or at least that's what, you, you know, Yale would would have you think because of the fact that, you know, they weight their admissions tests against Asians. Well, old Billy de Blasio, or as I like to call him by his birth name, Vaden Wilhelms II, yeah? Yeah, Matt Vaden, said Matt of New York City. New York City Mayor Vaden Wilhelm unveiled a plan Friday to phase out the gifted and talented programs for elementary school students that many educators say discriminate against black and Hispanic children enrolled in the nation's largest public school system. It will be replaced by a program called Brilliant NYC. That will expand the pool of students being offered accelerated learning 
and not limit it to just the incoming kindergartners who scored well on an optional exam that put them on a path to attend the city's elite middle schools and high schools. The era of judging four-year-olds based on a single test is over, Wilhelm said in a statement. Brilliant New York City will deliver accelerated instruction for tens of thousands of children as opposed to a select few. Every New York City child deserves to reach their full potential, and this new equitable model gives them that chance, yeah. <laughs> Kim says that he's part of the Third Reich. No! He's part of the intellectual one-third Reich, maybe. The bottom one-third. Uh, de Blasio's announcement came in the waning days of his final term in City Hall. Sent shocks through the New York through New York City that are likely to be felt in public school systems across the country grappling with similar kinds of racial disparities. The new plan comes two years after a diversity task force in New York recommended scrapping the most selective programs that use test scores and other criteria to determine class placement and which helped create a two-tier school system where 75% of the students in gift and talent programs were either white or Asian. See, I told you, they pointed it out. It's whitey, and I'm not going to say anything color-based about Asians because I don't want to get canceled. While students who didn't make the cut were relegated to inferior schools with fewer resources. And that's true. Of course, you know, they have this thing that conservatives have been pushing for a long time called school choice. Perhaps. Now, follow with me. This is, this is a crazy Jack Daniels drinking drunk man speaking. Maybe if money was attached to the student and where they were enrolled versus you live in this district, you pay taxes to this district, and because of an arbitrary line drawn up 50, 60, 100 years ago, this is where your child goes to school. What if they were literally just one block from being in a better funded, better scoring, better outcome school, but because again, because of these arbitrary lines, they can't go because my block goes to crap school. Literally, the next block up goes to great school. What if that funding was attached to kids and maybe there's a charter school or a private school that would be willing to accept whatever it is that the taxes would be paying to the public school for them to go? I know it's, it's a crazy thought. And the problem is, 
a lot of it's cultural. It mentions, you know, students who are of Asian descent. A lot of children of Asian descent still have their parents, or even most times their grandparents, are the ones who came over from China, Japan, Vietnam, Cambodia, wherever. And if they were from any sort of middle class in one of those countries, education and success are kind of foundational. Failure is not an option. Whereas, let's face it, there's there's inner city neighborhoods that are primarily black where showing up to school isn't necessarily a requirement. And ever since George W. Bush passed the whole you know, no child left behind thing, you don't have kids who get held back to ensure that they're going to be successful. Just move them along. If you don't move them along, they're going to be, they're going to lose funding. Uh, Kim brought up something very, very good in the chat room here. Parental involvement is very important to help children's learning. I had learning difficulties and my mom sat with me to work with me until I need, until I need the teachers to help me. Yeah. And that is a huge thing. My son, my youngest son has autism. And when it comes to the stuff that he has problems grasping, we work with him every chance we get. Math we're not too concerned about because he could math his way through everything when he was, you know, remember him being in kindergarten, blowing his kindergarten teacher away with his mad multiplication skills. But his handwriting and his, you know, grammar are not great. And so we have to work with him. And when you have, you know, city populations where parents just don't care. And I'm not going to say city populations because out here in rural Missouri where I'm at, you have parents who just don't care. And it leads to children who just don't care. Who just don't care their way to, you know, drop out of high school as soon as they can. And eventually, they perpetuate a cycle of they have kids, they just don't care. Those kids end up not caring, and the same thing. It just goes on and on. And the the breakup of black families because of, you know, because of Johnson and the things that he did with the Great Society. All that stuff, this pushed so much on to, against inner city families where it's like, wait, 
I can make more money and have a better have a better financial outcome if I'm not married. If baby daddy is not in the picture. Huh. They they put so many programs in place that you know removed one at least one parent from the home or had you know kids being raised by grandma who was trying to work and all this stuff and it's it's had an effect on you know black culture it's had an effect on inner city culture and we'll say inner city separate from black culture because. There are white kids from the inner cities. They have the same problems. Just like white kids from meth-addled trailer parks here in the middle of nowhere, Missouri, can have the same problems. There are certain things that goes on with these schools that is not necessarily a result of a racial disparity, but a cultural disparity. We have a society that has, you know, put the idea of fathers and breadwinners in the home, parents being in the home, and replaced it with your kids are going to be raised at the school. It's been breadwinner at home has been replaced with welfare checks. And food stamps. Kim points out that if you get rid of teachers unions, you can also get rid of bad teachers. Yes. I mean, when you have teachers unions that are so strong that you know, a teacher who is accused of abusing children cannot be fired, but gets a desk at some facility where they're, you know, keeping track of equipment. Because, well, yeah, you know, we he punched the kid in the nose for no reason, but, you know, that's just not enough to fire him. Or the more important teachers they should be firing are the ones who, you know, can't seem to get kids to learn anything. Those teachers who they've been there for 20, 30 years and they're literally just trying to pad their retirement check at this point. Get rid of them. If they don't care to be teaching kids, and some of these some schools have convoluted retirement systems. Here in Missouri, you have to it's like the number of years worked plus your age. I don't know. Somewhere the number comes up to 80. And once you hit that magic number, then you can retire and draw your full retirement benefits. It, like I said, it's so crazy and convoluted. It just doesn't make any damn sense. And so then you have teachers who are trying to hit that magic number, but they don't care. Hey, I'm just here for a paycheck. Whatever. 
And that's no way to be. I remember I met my daughter's uh, culinary arts teacher and at an open house. And you talk about someone who's excited to work with kids. He'd rather work with high schoolers than teach at a culinary arts school, you know, College of the Ozarks, Sullivan University, uh, Cordon Bleu. He'd rather work with high schoolers. And it's amazing to watch to see how excited he gets to work with these kids. Those are the kind of teachers we need to have. And when it comes to these uh, these tests for gifted and talented, you know, preschoolers going into kindergarten, I think that's a little early. I don't, I don't lie. I don't think a gifted and talented program is great for a kindergartner. Because it's really easy to give them more challenging things. When I was kindergarten and first grade, I could read better than the other kids in my class. I didn't have, uh, I didn't get a special time. You know, I didn't have a separate class for these accelerated learning things. My teachers gave me books with words and said, here, read this. I get done with it. Here, read this one now. But the whole idea of scrapping a program just because perceived racial inequity, I mean, how is it on the schools when parents, you know, parents in inner cities have a low literacy rate. They can't teach their kid. They can't read. They can't teach their kids to read. Maybe, maybe, you know, put some better programs in place to help those kids out. Just a thought. I know it's it's just the random ramblings of a guy drinking Jack Daniels and going over political stories. But, instead of scrapping a program that's going to help out kids who they already know their ABCs and can you know, read, they can do better math than their peers. Instead of hurting those kids, help out the ones who need it. All right, so last story of the evening. And this is one that is... It's got my attention, and I'm going to take this one with a grain of salt because I remember a lot of the similar things being said about the 2020 election. And so because of how that turned out, I'm kind of skeptical about this. Yeah, I share its optimism, but... Not quite on the same level this is. 
And this is coming from Flag and Cross. I believe the original story was uh, Western Journal. Red wave incoming. Registration data shows midterms may be a disaster for Democrats. <laughs> Kim just threw salt over her shoulder. Uh, I just shot a black cat that was walking across my path, so, you know, we're good there. Midterm elections have the potential to serve as a referendum of sorts on a controversial sitting president. And considering how gloriously bad President Joe Biden's first term is going so far, it's hard not to imagine that this could most certainly be the case in 2022. The Democratic Party is scrambling to, to address surprisingly narrow voter registration leads in several key swing states where it has historically enjoyed wider advantages in this metric. The Hill reported in the, that in the state of Pennsylvania, while Democrats enjoyed a voter registration advantage over Republicans by 813,885 people two years ago, this is down to just 632,000 now. And... <clears throat> This is the first point where I'm going to step in here. And Pennsylvania was one of those states that was showing an increase in the uh, registration of Republicans leading into the 2020 election. So that was this is one of the reasons why the state, why Pennsylvania was such a huge thing for the Trump administration and the Trump election team because of, like I said, I think it was, they were pushing a three to one margin of new Republicans to Democrats. <laughs> Kim, Kim says, I hope people vote red, but based on previous elections, I know last minute ballots show up magically. Last minute ballots show up two days later. That is called satire to whoever is going to be trying to censor this episode. Just want to point that out. I use absurdism to point to inherent truths. In North Carolina, Democratic voter registration has dropped by 140,000 since October 2019. And then the contentious mouse. Battleground state of Florida, while Democrats have typically enjoyed a hefty advantage over Republicans when it comes to voter registration, over the last two years it has sunk by over 200,000. According to the latest figures in the Florida Division of Elections, the Hill reported a total number of registered Republican voters now trails Democratic voters by just 24,000. <laughs> yes, yes, I do have to put a disclaimer on it because people don't understand sarcasm. Although it's not bad news for Democrats, as the party has conversely managed to close the gap in Arizona, where Republicans had previously had a bigger advantage, Republican voter enthusiasm for 2022 doesn't bode well as compared to Democrats either. Obviously, it's concerning. Thomas Kennedy, a Florida member of the Democratic National Committee, told The Hill, There are alarm bells ringing, and I think the party and different groups are taking notice and trying to fill in the gaps. He know that while factors like states cleaning up voter rolls may be contributing to the weakening voter registration numbers, 
Republican-led efforts to increase registration have also played a role. Quote, I do think that the Republicans have put a lot of emphasis on voter registration, he said, noting that Republican Governor Ron Santos of Florida had led a roughly $2 million campaign to increase GOP registration numbers. For Democrats, there hasn't been a robust voter registration operation like there needs to be in Florida since the Obama era. This, there's this emphasis on third-party groups and nonprofits filling in that gap. The Hill know that voter registration numbers don't correlate directly with the outcome of elections. It's who shows up at the polls that really matters, and in this case, Republican voters tend to turn out in bigger numbers than Democrats, despite the latter's tendency to register at higher numbers in some states. Quote, there are other reasons for Democrats to worry as well, the outlet explained. The party of a new president typically loses seats in the midterm elections, and President Biden has seen his approval ratings slip in recent weeks amid a summer surge in COVID infections and the chaotic withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan. And again, this is further goes on to uh, talk about, well, you know, these numbers don't necessarily. And truth be told, I am rather nervous when it comes to all of this. You can prognosticate based off of registrations all you want. As the article points out, it doesn't matter how many people you register. It matters who shows up on election day. Or who shows up to harvest ballots at the old folks' home. There are a million and one reasons why I should be getting all worked up and you know be positively jitty about the results of all this uh, Republican registration going on. But alas, like I said in 2020, all these votes, or all these voters who were you know, outnumbering Democrat new registrations in places like Pennsylvania, it didn't pan out. Now, Will it be nice to see a red wave? Absolutely. Unfortunately, we will still have people like Mitch McConnell, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, Mitt Romney, who are still there. Those people who are more than willing not to reach out across the aisle to, you know, get things done, but more like to walk across the aisle with their middle finger extended and their hand facing behind them to all of us on the right. They don't care. I was having a discussion with my neighbor about, you know, Roy Blunt. Roy Blunt is retiring at the end of this term. In 2022, there will be a new senator for Missouri taking that spot, hopefully Republican. 
And right now the Republican field is kind of kind of saturated. Eric Schmidt, our Attorney General. Vicki Hartzor, my Congresswoman. Eric Greitens, the former governor. And everybody's favorite pink polo-wearing, gun-toting Democrat, Mark McCloskey. You know that guy from St. Louis? He's running in the uh, Republican primary for Senate. But Roy Blunt, he's had a couple bills this year, just in this year alone, in the past couple months, where, you know, he has nothing to lose. So, yeah, so what if my constituents know that I really don't agree with anything that they believe politically? I'm going to step across the aisle. I'm going to do this because I'm not going to face any consequences. I'm not coming, I'm not having to run a re-election campaign. So I can vote for this spending package. I can vote to extend the debt ceiling. No one's they 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 can't throw me out of office because I won't be I won't be running to get stay in. And my neighbor is com- absolutely convinced that you know if you're didn't have to didn't have to deal with people trying to smear you for the stands you take, you know you should be able to, you know, you know hold. You know, hold steady, hold firm. You know, you know what? If they're if they're going to threaten to nuke the, they're going to threaten to nuke the filibuster. So that way they don't have to use up their uh, reconciliation, their one reconciliation for this year. So that way they can raise the debt ceiling. I say. Go for it. Take a vote. And I would rather I'd rather have my hopes resting on either Joe Manchin or Kirsten Cinema to vote against raising the debt ceiling than to look at eleven of my fellow Republicans walking across the aisle, flipping me the bird as they go giving the Democrats their, you know, 60-vote supermajority and then still being able to have their have their reconciliation to use on the spending package. Now, I'm sure there was some sort of political strategy that went into why they decided that, you know, having 11 Republicans join the Democrats would be an amazing idea. But really, I think the only strategy is screw the peons. We don't care. We know better than them. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this week. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in. Those of you who are listening live for the first part of the show where you couldn't hear anything, I'm sorry. I don't know why it does that sometimes. It's just, you know, 
it is what it is. Technology can be a pain in the keister on occasion. Anywho's, if you're listening to this show on your favorite podcast app, please rate and review it, uh, especially if you're on Apple. I know Apple does have rate and review. I ask you to do four things. If you are new to this show and you're just checking out, please hit that subscribe or follow button, whatever they use now. Then number two, please rate my show. I'm looking for five stars, looking for five. Five stars. I will accept four. But if you come at me with anything at three or lower, we're going to have to have a conversation. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel like Pawn Stars trying to, you know, get y'all to give me more than just three stars. I'm just saying. At once you have it rated, write a review. It doesn't have to be this giant glowing review of that takes 20 paragraphs and about 10 minutes to read. Now, just something short, succinct, nice. You know, this is the little things. Hey, I listen to the show. I like it. It's great. It's awesome. Cool. Glad you listen. And finally, the last thing I ask you to do every week Please share this show. Send this show to somebody who you think will absolutely love it. Or send it to somebody who you think will piss them off. Either way, make somebody's day, make somebody angry. I don't care. I will help you out. And however, however you need, just use this show as the as the vehicle to make it happen. Again, thank you so much for listening. If you want to support this show, remember. Go to RelentlessDaring.com at the top of the page. You will see that Donate button. Click that, and you can set up either a one-time or a recurring donation. Or you can go to RelentlessDaring.com slash shop. Check out the selection of hats, T-shirts, coffee mugs, you name it. It's, okay, I'm not going to have shower curtains. That'd just be weird to have my ugly mug on your shower curtain watching you while you scrub your unmentionable parts. We don't want that to happen. I'm beating up my microphone. I apologize. I'm sorry, microphone. I'm sorry, listeners, for your ears. Um, Again, all the money that y'all give me, either it's through buying merch, through supporting the sponsors of the show, and you know, I get my little kickback from them, or it's through donations. All that goes into making this show a better experience for you, the listener, and maybe a better experience for me, the recorder, trying to make this stupid stuff work on occasion. Again, thank you so very much for listening, and as always, stay relentless. This is Relentless Daring on podbean.com. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.